everyone. For today, I'm actually here with Craig and Vinny of Twin Peaks Evangelion, where we're going to discuss Dale Cooper and the Georgia Coffee commercials, and also how Twin Peaks influenced uh, Japanese culture at large. Before we get further into it, I'll hand over the mic so they can introduce themselves further. Hello, I'm Vinny, professional weeb and now professional Twin Peaks fan. Kia ora, I'm Craig, and um, just want to say, Colin, thank you so much for uh, for having us on this episode. I think it's quite apt that, you know, for such sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel Twin Peaks characters, you've invited along um, appropriately scraping the bottom of the barrel podcasters. So uh, thank you for <laughs> thank you for having us. It's great to be here. No, but in all honesty, I feel like if there's anyone who's good for discussing Japanese culture and Twin Peaks, you guys are absolutely the perfect choices that I think. Yes, Before... the, uh, the, no- the noted scholars of uh, Japanese media that we are, yes. <laughs> I guess we could start off by discussing what we think of, like, you know, why Twin Peaks gravitated Japanese audiences so much to begin with to get these commercials and uh, the influence that it had in subsequent uh, years. I think it's just that natural thing of, of liking something that's foreign, especially something that's very uh, Pacific Northwest. And just like it just encapsulates the perfect vibe of the Pacific Northwest and that fascination like, ooh, I don't live in a place like that. Or, ooh, why do these people act like this? Especially in, in like Twin Peaks where it's like a very distinct place with very distinct people. It's that fascination of the unknown, really. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but, uh, you know, Japanese culture is one that is quite... Um, you know, there's two extremes to it. You know, it can be quite repressed, but there's a lot of sort of, um, you know, repression around, uh, especially things to do with sexuality and things like that. Um, And, you know, lots of sort of social, um, you know, uh, social norms that, you know, are are a lot more based on, um, you know, politeness and being, um, and, you know, being accommodating to other people. Um, But there is also this wacky, sort of zany side of Japanese media. And I think that, um, you know, that that the, the way that Twin Peaks kind of balanced those kind of things probably spoke to a Japanese audience at the time. Honestly, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, and especially on the uh, on the over-the-top aspects that we were bringing up, because I think Twin Peaks, it has like the two, at least in the original series, has these two uh, core staples that I can see resonate with, with, with uh, the Japanese audiences, because... The first is the very quirky humor that's out of left field. And then also it has this blend of like a very unique horror because anyone who's watched like any Japanese horror knows that it has like its own like distinct look. There's a Mm. lot of subtlety, a lot of nuance. And uh, what the original series brought in terms of you don't know what scene will be kind of like quirky. And then the like something horrifying will happen the next one. And I think it just like Lynch tapped into like the two like most core aspects and it just happened to work out for, for the Japanese audience. Yeah, it's also just like something that's a phenomenon in the U.S. is like, okay, it'll never, you can never really anticipate what it's going to do overseas. But I think it just shows how television was begging for something like Twin Peaks. And it's just like a universal thing. We're all in, want 
like this weird storytelling we've never seen before, something familiar, but then it flips it on its side. And very much there's a lot of like anime that does that where it, like it, it breaks expectations of things, but something that you see from a foreign land is always going to be more enticing. Cause like, okay, I, I can get a sense of their values and stuff like that through their art, but also I can also appreciate like the similarities in some of the things, like how they approach horror, how they approach uh, like uh, a town and all these people, people's relationships. So I think it was just like the perfect combination of Twin Peaks just being, you know, lightning in a bottle, but also like we all universally want a unique art form to enjoy and watch together. And just to expand on that a little bit as well, I think also that, um, you know, there's a real culture of in Japan, especially in, in sort of the big centers like Tokyo and stuff, where there's there's a real focus on being cutting edge and being really um, sort of hip with, with stuff and, you know, being really, yeah, just being sort of right on right on that um, sort of edge of, you know, being of, of what's kind of cool and popular. And I think that, you know, a groundbreaking series like Twin Peaks at that time would have perfectly sort of fit that. That mold. I think the thing that I find a bit surprising is that uh, I don't know if you ever watched the I believe it was on Inside Edition in 1992 where it was really about how it was like truly sweeping Japan by storm where Secret Diary of Laura Palmer it yeah. sold like you know well in the six figures despite that uh, the fact that Twin Peaks was only on pay-per-view it had this massive uh, massive appeal and that's not even going to the fact that it was a, I believe it was a 14 part VHS tape collection that at the time was worth 440 US dollars. This yeah, was, yeah. this is not a small demand from the Japanese people. This was something that they were really willing to get into and be in for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also this thing in Japan where like merchandise is insane. You, if you put, if you can put your show on it, we will sell it to you. So it's also that thing of like, well, let's capitalize on the eagerness of fandom that they have over there as well. I think this would be a perfect time to start diving into kind of Japanese commercials and what makes them so Japanese commercials. Because <laughs> there's something where I, I read something a few weeks back where. The reason why there's such like a unique quirkiness uh, in Japanese commercials is that I think it's Japanese executives. They kind of look at it as that if you have to over explain something, it's an insult to their audience. So it kind of gives more leeway mm -hmm. to just be have fun with it and just have something that's just like a fun spectacle of sorts. But I think the other one that's mm -hmm. worth mentioning is Japanese commercials before the Internet, where all these actors and all these celebrities from America they would go and they, they think to themselves, well, I don't want to seem like I'm a sellout for promoting a product. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'll just go to Japan and just do this goofy commercial. Surely no one will ever find out about this. <laughs> have you ever been to Japan, Colin? Admittedly, I would love to go, but I have yet to visit. Um, no, I, w I went, I visited Tokyo in like 2008, so a while ago. But um, even then, it was not uncommon to walk down the street and see, you know, a big billboard with Brad Pitt selling just regular jeans or Cameron Diaz with a cell phone, you know, in a commercial on TV or something like that. You know, it was, it was really, even then it was, it was still, still really a big thing. Even, um, you know, even after it was kind of in the cultural zeitgeist from, you know, things like uh, the Bill Murray film Lost in Translation, you know, even after that, it was still, you know, a really big thing in, um, in Japan. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's got a long history. Um, of, of that kind of thing happening. If there's one actor I can think of that's still going strong at it, 
is that Tommy Lee Jones, he is the face of Boss Coffee in Japan. And if you watch those commercials, mm-hmm. it's a very dry but very over-the-top portrayal. And uh, it's nothing that I've seen Tommy Lee, Je- or Tommy Lee Jones do in any other movie here in the States. So it is. it kind of adds that extra bit of like humor of just seeing how these actors, how they present themselves like uh, when they do commercials such as this. And they would be paid handsomely for that, I'm sure. It's funny, I actually I actually drank a boss a boss coffee the other day, um, which is interesting. They've got a bit of a marketing blitz happening in um, in New Zealand at the moment. They're sort of, you know, doing a lot of promo and marketing it as, you know, an, an excessively Japanese product. And um yeah, I'd never tried one before. I tried one the other day and an iced latte and uh yeah, it was it was pretty disappointing to be honest. <laughs> it didn't taste great. <laughs> But I guess on the topic of better Japanese coffee, or at least uh, for growing on a curve, uh, the Georgia coffee that I had, I think it was the vanilla one as well that I had a few years back. And actually, that was pretty good. But usually when I drink any coffee or girls during a Twin Peaks rewatch, it just kind of is like automatically good on those merits. But uh, honestly, I have the can on my shelf to this day, so it still holds a place in my heart, which is very weird to say, but... It is, a, it is something that like really brings a smile on my face when I look at it. And again, I know that sounds absolutely absurd, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. It's okay, Colin. I look at my manga shelf with all the statues and dumb energy jigs. I'm like, I understand you on a spiritual level. <laughs> so, since we're on the topic of Japanese coffee, now we can uh, finally dive into the Georgia coffee commercials uh, about Twin Peaks. Because I saw you had a poll about this uh, a couple weeks back, if this can fit into the mythos of Twin Peaks in any capacity. Sorry, just just before before that, Colin, can I just, just, I'll just can I just um, you know ask you a question real quick? I hate to come on your show and start uh, start throwing the c word around, but um, do you consider these commercials as canon? Yes and no. Um, I I think for me, I think I just kind of like had this idea in my head that. All these times I ever see Kyle McLaughlin as Dale Cooper, whether it's the Georgia Coffee commercials, the Japanese Fire Walk With Me trailer, uh, the uh, SNL skit, or uh, even certain <laughs> commercials like uh, promoting season two. I I just kind of had this kind of half joke of, is this something in Dale Cooper's mind in the Black Lodge as he's slowly withering away in 25 years? And uh, <laughs> does this, uh, and does this uh, have any bearing in that manner? Uh, so it's it, like I said, it's not really happening that if there's anything that's uh, we live inside a dream, it is definitely the stuff that we see in those aforementioned commercials, trailers and SNL skits. Absolutely. <laughs> um, one thing I don't I don't consider these canon, but um, I think it is notable that uh, David Lynch directed every installment of these uh, of these coffee commercial series, which we know just wasn't the case with season one and two. So. In that regard, I guess, you know, one could argue that percentage-wise, at least, these commercials are kind of on par with the return in that in that one very, very specific uh, regard. <laughs> and and only that one very specific regard. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is worth mentioning. It was, um, I, I think it was in season two where there was a period where David Lynch was removed from the production. Not like physically removed, but he just wasn't <laughs> actively on the day-to-day set. And I think it was he was doing an art exhibit in Japan and it seemed like it was a huge deal the way people talk about it. And I kind of wonder if there's something about his time being in Japan and the idiosyncrasies that probably attracted to him and like vice versa is that, uh, is that I'm maybe sure. this was something that kind of set off the Georgia coffee commercials to begin with. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there was there was probably a Georgia coffee executive at that exhibition and ran into him and gave him his business card and, you know, offered him this this thing and which led to these maybe, who knows? I think this uh, is a really good send the stage for everything about the Georgia coffee commercials. To go on with the first one, we have Dale Cooper where he's in the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. A Japanese man named Ken comes in and uh, he says that the last thing that his girlfriend Asami has gone missing and the only thing they could find was a postcard from the Great Northern Hotel before disappearance. Upon a room being searched, the picture that he has is the only thing that was really found. And it's her standing in front of the, I believe it is called the uh, the rare Vaughn Singer Vipel and, uh, and a deer head. Mm. The thing is that, of course, the deer head is a callback to the pilot. But what mm. I find interesting mm. about this car is that, do you want to know how many of these cars exist, at least at the time of this this commercial was made? I'll I'll say hundreds. Less than a hundred. I don't know. Believe it or not, nice you car. both are completely off. The amount of Von Singer Vibles at the time when the Georgia Coffee commercials were filmed was one. Oh. That's it. Like that car that you <laughs> really? see in those first two commercials, that's the only one. <laughs> I don't know if it was actually David Lynch's car, because he has used wow. his cars in like uh like in Fire Walk Me, for example, but there's only one. It's a great looking car. It actually still looks pretty sleek by today's yeah, standards. Beautiful. But yeah, I, I thought that was just so wild that something that one of a kind would be in these commercials. Yeah, I wonder what the... Oh, man, I'd love to dig into that story and find out what was behind that. I think it was very funny that um, out of all the Twin Peaks iconography and, you know, symbols that they could have used, the deer head is the thing that they chose to sort of put the clue <laughs> on. I thought that was, that was pretty funny. It was... It was I mean, it was almost a throwaway joke in the pilot, really. It was um, sort of didn't really go anywhere beyond that. But um, I just thought it was really fun that they uh, that they sort of used that. But, like, doesn't that encapsulate, like, theories with Twin Peaks? Like, you got to get one object and just get, like, get the meaning out of it. So let's just grab this. It, my whole theory depends on this one item. <laughs> I feel like these commercials overall are pretty much just... Let's just chuck in as many Twin Peaks memes as we can, um, you know, into the into the uh, into the narrative here. Um, oh yeah, you know. So we'll yeah. have the log lady come on and and switch off the light switches and you know that kind of stuff. Just yeah, cramming it in there. Yeah, and then uh, she shows up in each and every commercial in some capacity, no matter mm. how bizarre the circumstances. She just pops in. <laughs> but right now, the at least as far as the, the original series go, we have the deer head. And then uh, Cooper talks about, he says, knows the symbol. And it's the um, it's the sign at Big Ed's Gas Farm. Uh, we cut to the next commercial, but not before Cooper pulls out a Georgia coffee. Talking about it's, it's rich, tastes great, comes in a can. And then, of course, that's when the log lady comes out and says it's true. Uh, of course, uh, in the next commercial, we have Cooper and Ken, where they find the uh, rare Von Singer Weibel and uh, red socket balls. And I actually made a point to write this down because... Uh, you know, we were talking about how don't take the clues too seriously. Even for people who overanalyze Twin Peaks, that transition from the red socket balls to the cherry pie, it's like, we just have to accept that we're at the double R at this point. <laughs> it's like, don't take this too seriously. We're just here to have fun. But it's really good to see Shelly yeah. Johnson there. But the thing that I have to put out there is that as someone who was at Tweeds only a few weeks ago, I cannot possibly imagine walking in and then pulling out a Georgia coffee when a server comes up and says, it's rich, great, tastes great, comes in a can. I was going to bring this up. I was going to bring this up. It's very funny how Cooper just 
interrupts people who are bringing regular coffee along in these commercials. Like he does it with Andy and Lucy and he's doing it with Shelly here. And I mean, as you said, Colin, it's, it's very poor form to bring your own coffee to a diner. That would be like taking a six pack to a bar. You know, you just, you just, you just don't do that. You just don't do it. Just Cooper mansplaining what coffee is to Shelly. Like, Shelly, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> Yeah, for a guy who throughout the original series was always saying something like damn good coffee and hot or some variation of it. I think that's why I think I get a kick out of this scene. Of all the times to interrupt and explain coffee, this is the best and worst time at the same time. Mostly the worst time. <laughs> but I guess the only thing we have to really move the plot forward is that Shelly, she does recognize Ken. She's like, oh, are you Ken? And he says, yes, like with some degree of enthusiasm. And then uh, Shelly says, a beautiful woman left this for you. It's a red origami swan. Just on that, one thing I like about that whole exchange is that um, up until then, Ken hadn't really done anything to prompt Shelly to ask him if, if he's Ken. And I'm just drawing conclusions here, but uh, I can only assume that she thought, oh, that must be Ken because he's the only person of Asian descent that uh, is in the town, <laughs> apart from... <laughs> Josie and maybe Catherine and, and yeah. so it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a convenient plot driver at, at best and sort of vaguely racist at worst. Maybe. Yeah, this is one of those things where like 30 years ago, this is a, a by today's standards, this would file under seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> we do come back and uh, to the share station. They have the red origami in hand where they know it's the letter G. And of course, the first thing that Cooper says is, how about we think about this over a can of Georgia coffee? And I think this is where uh, where even Hawk, he's just like, Cooper? And then, of course, he goes off his, it's rich, tastes great, comes in a can. And, uh, of course, uh, Margaret returns once again to say it's true. And then, for no real reason, much like the cherry pie to red socket balls, Andy just exclaims, look, when I put the corns together, it forms a G. And then, of course, Cooper says, Oh, great work, Andy. And Harry Goas just has that wonderful, like, I, I solved something important. And then yeah. that's when we get to the, it's like, <laughs> that, I, I don't know how yeah, how Cooper makes this, but it's like, what's that one pin? Uh, where is that? Glastonbury Grove? It's like, home of the Black Lodge. Just a couple of things on on the uh, this third episode. I mean, I haven't looked into this too deeply, but um, the set that they're using, the set for the sheriff's station, I mean, it appears to be, it's either the same or very similar to the one used in the show. I mean, it looks like that conference room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Clearly they shot the first episode and, uh, and oh, the first uh, commercial and this one in the same location, probably on the same day. Um, one more thing. Again, I'd have to go back and rewatch this, but uh, is it just me or is, uh, is Hawk's glorious hair longer than it was? Yes. I have a note on that too. What's up with Hawk's hair? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's full. It's rich. It's, um, you know, he, he conditions. I'm sure. Yeah, there, there's definitely a good volume to that hair, and it's uh, it, it's one of those things where it's like I think it was by the time I got the commercial, like, oh yeah, I guess this was filmed after 1991, and everyone's gonna look a little different because I know Andy uh, or Harry Goa has better got his hair was much shorter, but yeah, like Hawk has that just like that perfect like hair that just poofs out draped over the shoulders. Uh, yeah, it's a good look on Michael Horse. Yeah, absolutely, it's glorious. <laughs> yeah, and then we're up to the last episode and uh this is the one where they actually take it a little more seriously than i expect where they go to glastonbury grove margaret she shows up she doesn't even say it's true she just says watch with like some degree of concern and then <laughs> we use footage from presumably the season two finale 
where Cooper just walks in. He sees Asami. Uh, she says Cooper in that like backwards speak. And then he actually rescues her. And then the first thing he does is that after Ken and Asami are reunited, he just they're like, hey, let's uh, let's celebrate with a couple Georgia coffees. And just quickly, it's like a, it's like it's rich, tastes great, comes in a can. It shows all of them in that group shot. And then you see uh, Kyle McLaughlin give that thumbs up. And then that's it. Did you see the version of these commissions that I watched? Um, they weren't subtitled or anything. So when Ken and Asami were talking to each other in Japanese, that was I couldn't sort of fully understand what they were saying there. Did, have you seen a translation of that? Admittedly, I haven't. I just kind of accepted it's like a, I missed you or some degree of that, or I'm glad that you're yeah. safe. I think, I think I just sort of read it as, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, me too. Hey, should we celebrate your safe return with a tin coffee? <laughs> like, <laughs> where, I, where I went with it. And I think the part that I think is crazy and definitely worth mentioning is that I forget the actor's name, but the actor who played Ken, Ben from Twin Peaks Unwrapped, actually did an interview with him years back. And he actually oh, brought yeah. up an interesting really? point where he said that there's going to be a set of like sequel commercials for for Twin Peaks Georgia Coffee, but then it just mm-hmm. never came to fruition. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've actually got I've actually got a, something about that uh, later on. Um, we'll we'll put a pin in that maybe. Guys, guys, I have a translation right here. It says "Buy a Razorhead on VHS now." <laughs> That's very you know to sneak that past a Japanese audience. Um, or Japanese um, coffee executives. That was very sneaky. Very sneaky. <laughs> wow. Now that we've gone through each of the commercials uh, little by little, were there anything uh, anything you both wanted to mention like in a broader context of the two of them? I think it's interest- it is a very much like, oh, remember that, remember that, but also just like what they found was important. Like you don't have the actual sheriff of the town in this. You don't have anything to the hotel would either be the horns or anything like that like no mention of laura who was like the phenomenon of the show so it's like they wanted to do the most but not be very like economical with it so it's like okay we have to get in margaret but screw laura like stuff like that like i think it's very much a love letter to the franchise but also it's still trying to sell us stuff so i think it's an interesting way to see marketing be like tug on your emotions of your love for something and then be like but also buy this yeah, it would be interesting to do sort of an analysis of, you know, because they're only, the commercials are only 30 seconds long. You know, it would be interesting to sort of see, to do an analysis of, of how much, like what kind of percentage of the commercial is driving the narrative forward and what percentage is Cooper standing there repeating the same three lines about how great Georgia coffee is, you know, <laughs> or trying to convince a new member of the cast that, uh, that you know, it's worth drinking. Um, it would be interesting to kind of to kind of see that. If we were going to call it a series, it does move this mystery along at a breakneck speed. Like it's just it's just bam, 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 and the speed at which you know the climax of the mystery and you know the rescuing of Asami happens is just like it's it's over within about five seconds. Like it's crazy. It's really quick. Now, it's funny because I think that just shows how we kind of talk about this stuff in a post-internet world because at the time when it came out, the only uh, the only way mm. Americans had any exposure was when uh, John Thorne and Craig Miller from Wrapped in Plastic, they basically just had transcripts of the commercials. Uh, and mm. it was one of their early, it's one of the issues so early on is one of the really? hand-drawn covers. But yeah, the, the, but the, the other one that's worth mentioning is that for Japanese wow. audiences, I think these commercials run like for one to two month intervals 
where it's like uh where it's like okay this everyone in japan had to have watched this commercial at least once by this point now we can move on to the next yeah. one so that was like a good yeah. like four to six months of like of just like these commercials and like this like strange unfolding of sorts it's, it's something you don't really see so much these days is it and is kind of like serialized commercials like that i mean i don't know i'm sure this happened in the states but um you know i, I remember in new zealand at least in the 90s there was you know there were regular commercials that did kind of tell if not a like a narrative story at least you know it was like oh, we had a milk company here that would do commercials um featuring a family you know mum and dad and teenage daughter kind of thing you know they'd, they'd run an ad for a couple of months and then they'd change it to a new one and it would just be you know these this family interacting and stuff yeah we had all kinds of stuff like that um and it must have been way more common you know on broadcast tv back in uh in those days since we talked about the format of it uh craig did you want to follow up on the what you wanted to say about the sequel series for the commercials well i was i mean i was doing a bit of reading um about this and shout out to the twin peaks wiki um for you know diving into the weeds on this but yeah like like you said colin um basically the so lynch was commissioned to do these four commercials which he did um and a couple of things that sort of stuck out with me um apparently a second series was planned as you've said but that was scrapped because georgia wasn't happy with these commercials so i mean i think it might be fun to maybe speculate on two things i guess um that i've been wondering about one one, why do we think that georgia wasn't happy with it you know what was in there that that didn't uh, didn't appease the advertisers and two, what would it, what would a second series of commercials have looked like? Do you think? I think to answer your first question, I think the zeitgeist of Twin Peaks was probably not unlike the U.S., where it was like this big splash of like, what is this? You know, the big difference is that when we got in 1990, we just had the pilot and we had to wait for everything to unfold. But by 1992, mm-hmm. you know, you had like the full series was readily available. You had the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, Fire Walk with Me. Uh, hot off the heels of the success in Japan was like the first place where it was screened. And actually I did want to point out is that one of my friends, uh, Atsui Ito, he lives in Japan. I reached out to him to ask about the success of Firewalk with me. And I believe he said that it made 800 million yen, which I believe loosely converts to, I think at the time, roughly five to $6 million at the box office. And just for inflation, I think it's like up to 12 million now. So it wasn't quite the success that we I, I would have thought it was uh, it did better there than it did in the sure. States, but, uh, but it is a mm. testament that there is a reason why fire walk me was put out in Japanese theaters uh, before us. Isn't that interesting. Yeah. What do you think Vinny? What was, what did Georgia object to in these commercials? Do you think? I think one main thing could be maybe it, it this might be silly to say, but it, it wasn't weird enough. Like the, it could have been more red room stuff or just more like, a better mystery than like here's a simple clue every single time and then we somehow form a g on this topographical map of the town and and solve it there like maybe it was like we pay we gave you this blank check to make more twin peaks and you gave us that but also do better yeah i wonder yeah i guess another one that's worth mentioning is that you think of lynch where he's done his fair share of commercials throughout the decades and i think that for Mm -hmm. for him Usually most people would have to cave to whatever an ad executive wants. I think most people, when it comes to Lynch, they know that they have to let him do his own thing. 
So it kind of means like uh, like he gets probably a higher budget than most other people. He gets more liberties. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I think the actor who played Ken, I think he said that Georgia Coffee didn't move as much uh, coffee as they thought they would. Uh, you know, maybe they thought, oh, right. Twin Peaks is going to be this big thing. Like we can like, you know, really put Georgia Coffee on the map in a way no one has before. And it just fell short relative to the budget because... You look at this these commercials and there's right. clearly a lot of effort that's put into it in terms of like locations, the activity that goes on and just the presentation all around. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the cheapest exercise to get all those you know all those actors back and um reestablish the sets or whatever they did there. I mean, you can kind of tell they fudged a little bit of that like um like they only had the photo of Big Ed's gas farm, they didn't actually show the building itself. It was just like some nondescript parking lot um that they found the car in and stuff so yeah they probably did they probably took some shortcuts there but um yeah i mean it probably wouldn't have been cheap to get lynch on board and um get all those actors back and do all that kind of stuff maybe maybe that's what it was maybe it just came down to you know the marketing spend didn't translate into you know sales that they were happy with so maybe that's what uh, what killed it what do you reckon david lynch would have done with a second series of of commercials would it have been a new story? I mean, it would have been a new story, right? This one's kind of got wrapped up. If I had to guess, I would think that the sequel series, if you will, would have been would have depended if Twin Peaks was able to get a third season on like Fox, for example. Because I think of like how around that time there was that push of like, oh, could it possibly come on something else, or could it make an reemergence of sorts? And uh, you know, right. like I was saying before, with Japan is that. If it had this like massive splash when it came out, uh, you know, selling the way it did, that maybe there was a hope that they could like really reignite the fan base and bring it back in some capacity. Or even like, you know, even put aside like a third season, maybe like they can make their sequel films uh, to Fire Walk Me to wrap up what would have been the season three storyline. There probably would have been a bridge, if you will, of like season two to a hypothetical season three and just sort of like a way to like get people really revved up to the trajectory of like what the town is at or maybe allude to Cooper's doppelganger in some capacity or maybe have Cooper in the Black Lodge of like just being stuck and confined. Yeah, and uh, Cooper's doppelganger is running around drinking boss coffee or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, here we go. Here we go. This is how you Um, do it. You have this evil doppelganger. He's, you know, wrecking town. He's drinking the wrong coffee. He takes a sip of Georgia. He goes, I'm no longer Mr. C. I'm Mr. G. (laughs) <laughs> I, I can see Mr. G being a thing. I could see them just doing something with Cooper's doppelganger where he like, I don't know, he kind of straightens out just for the moment in that commercial before just going back to just his thing. Yeah, he drink he yeah, he takes a sip of the Georgia coffee and it sort of, oh my god, I, I renounce all my evil ways. So I'm going back to the going back to the Black Lodge where I belong. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, uh, were there any other thoughts um, we had relating to the speculation of like a sequel series of sorts? No, I mean, I think, uh, who knows, really? I, w- oh. I wonder if any records exist or if David Lynch even remembers anything. Probably, I mean, he wouldn't tell us if he did. But He would say that that this ca- this campaign was the most spiritual campaign he's ever been a part of. Can you elaborate? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very good. Did you know, you guys, that uh, this these commercials are listed as a um, as a TV series on uh, the Internet Movie Database? Yeah, no, actually, yeah, I was a little surprised, but 
I think of how like even you know someone like even uh, internet reviews like Red Letter Media where they have like IMDb listings per episode now. I think there's a period where just kind of accept that you can kind of put anything on IMDb at this point, which is actually kind of cool because uh, I I would assume that you know you could kind of look up the individual actors like you know specifically the actors yeah. who played Ken and Asami. I actually did. Uh, I actually did do that. Takahaguchi, who who played Ken. He did some voice acting in some anime series, um, probably some stuff you've seen, Vinny, I can't recall. But uh, in 2000, he was on a, a Japanese TV show uh, which had the name Audrey, which is like, <gasps> more, uh, more Twin Peaks connections. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, there's something to this. I'm going to get my red tape out and um, you know, make a G on the, on the map. Um, we all know what Intorius uh, Coffee Fiend david lynch's you know he brought out his own signature blend of um of coffee beans or whatever do you think he tried do you think he enjoys georgia do you think he even tried it <laughs> what do you what do you reckon <laughs> i would say that he has tried it and he probably hated it I, I feel like in order to be that type of person where you have your own organic coffee you had to have drank a certain amount of like commercial line coffee because keep in mind georgia is through coca-cola so Right. It's very mass produced. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I, I would think it would be funny if this was like Georgia coffee was the thing that springboard him to make his own coffee. Like, a, it's like, oh, this is bullshit. I'm just gonna make my own from now on, sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Either that, or you know, this was the, or or it was so good that he, um, you know, he'd been resisting doing these commercials for so long. He finally took a sip of them. He's like, wow, this is the bit. This is great. It's rich and full and delicious. Um, and yeah, that's what sort of led him on this journey. And I guess the only thing we could do to wind down on this episode, and uh, you both can feel free to make this as long or short as you want, but to talk about the legacy of Twin Peaks in Japan, because I would say next mm. to the States, Japan is a pretty close second, if not neck and neck with America in terms of being directly influenced by Twin Peaks. And things that you still see it to this day, especially mm -hmm. in gaming. I feel like it's it's the fas fascination again of just like okay this we need to make our game unique so it's like well let's show something foreign but also get that familiar so let's give the vibes of a small town missing person have this one dude who's like the best at everything go save her and then let the masses come because they think oh it's just like Twin Peaks let's go let's whether that be Silent Hill Deadly Premonition and stuff like that but it's also just it's also that fascination of unsettling in like the homeland where you can see like this wholesome place and just the unsettling underneath it which is very much the lynchian thing to do but it's that fascination oh, okay we need to lure you in with the familiar and then just scare you and just scare the crap out of you Vinny and i are both um, big silent hill fans especially the first two or three games are very uh very heavily influenced by by twin peaks um you know, in terms of the, you know, the small town location, the, um, the mystery and the mysterious stuff happening, the strange supernatural things happening in this town and just the, just that, yeah, that mix of sort of horror and dread and um, just mundane everyday life. I feel like this has been brought up more since I had a re-release on the Switch, but I think of how, I believe it was in 1993, uh, Zelda Link's Awakening came out for the Game Boy. And I think at that point it was far enough in development, but you get to that part at the end where Link, because it starts off where his ship, it basically suffers a horrible lightning storm overseas and he drifts to this island. And at the end, the island just disappears. 
I feel like if there's anything that has a strange precursor to the we live inside a dream, mm-hmm. this is the one in all like Twin Peaks inspired media that really clicks to me. Was there anything that you had in mind of like certain games or manga or anime you watched that really invoke that feeling for either of you? It was funny. So in the middle of us starting uh, Twin Peaks Seven Gun, I was just doing a rewatch of uh, Soul Eater, and there is very much certain points where one of the main characters goes in their mind palace and their mind palace is just the red room with someone dancing like the man from another place him just like dancing along and all these red curtains but legally distinct in design wise so it was very much like this is very unapologetically just showing you what it is and i think that that's that's a fun thing to see how how like certain creators aren't afraid to show what inspires them in a way and just letting you know like okay we all get the joke and let's see what i do with this concept this one character going to this mind palace of the red room and how they deal with trauma or deal with struggles in in this series and go from there so i think it's interesting to take something as abstract as the red room and them putting it in their narrative and trying to see what they do with it yeah absolutely and i feel like anything anywhere that Twin Peaks gets parodied. Um, you know, if there's a Twin Peaks parody out there, most likely it will involve that room, you know, or some variation of, you know, red curtains and zigzag floor and strange dancing men and stuff like that. Yeah, that's generally how the how a parody of Twin Peaks will go in any across any media. We need more parodies of someone being put in a knob of a dresser. That's what we need more of. <laughs> <laughs> And this is driven a little away from Twin Peaks, but you think of just how much anime and manga, like it's had this massive boom in the last like three plus years. So I think we're in like this weird full circle where a lot of Japanese media is very influenced by Twin Peaks and it's like coming out of the woodwork. But or even here, like, for example, the time this recording, Creed 3 came out relatively recently and Michael B. Jordan, who not only starred but directed it. He actually talked about how the fight scenes were actually inspired by Dragon Ball Z and like all this other anime that he liked growing up and currently watching. So it's really a testament to one, how big that industry is. And uh, I mean, of course, there's a there's a whole different time we could talk about why it's gotten so big. I think it's kind of going to be like a weird full circle. A lot of like uh, a lot of like the anime, especially from yesteryear, will come around and like uh, and it'll just really reintroduce Twin Peaks uh, in a whether it's consciously or subconsciously. One thing I want to bring up with you guys as a, as a thought experiment, where could you incorporate Ken and Asami in the return? Just just one thing I've just remembered. Um, as I was sort of doing research on the uh, Internet Movie Database, um, yeah, the uh, I don't think the actress who played Asami is credited, so we don't know who Aww. she is. <laughs> um, she's not listed anywhere, so I'm like, oh, okay. It's, it's kind of interesting. Where would we put them in the return? I mean, I'd love to have seen the return go to Japan. Like maybe there's a portal in Tokyo or something like that. That would have been cool. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you view the dream aspects. If we're talking about them as like real human beings, because I, it's like what I was saying before is that when I look at like the Georgia coffee commercials, I almost view it as like Cooper's coping mechanism of, oh, what if he got out of the Black Lodge and all these other great things he could have done and. I view uh, Asami and uh, Ken as basically that. But if we're talking about them as real people, I would love to think that they would just be sticking around Twin Peaks and uh, they'd, I don't know, they'd find their own like ways to kind of like weave their way into the stories of like the characters in the original series. Um, Admittedly, I've never really thought too much about them coexisting in Twin Peaks, 
or what they would do uh, if because you know you think of in the return where it goes all around like definitely the states and a little bit of the world. Honestly, yeah, it could have been fun seeing like how they were just like kind of vaguely connected to uh, Mr. C in some way. Uh, that's probably the the closest I can think of in terms of season three of like what Mr. C was doing throughout that 25 years and how it would affect them in some capacity. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe the Mr. C's, um, you know, context within the, uh, the Yakuza or something like that. Uh, Mr. C um, has or... a controlling share of Georgia coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, another thing you could do is that like doing the whole like Dougie Cooper thing is like, he overhears someone say Georgia coffee, like Georgia coffee. Something like that, even if it's just as small as that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like some random salesman on like the Vegas Strip, and he tells them it's <laughs> it's rich, tastes great, comes in a can. <laughs> and just Dougie like a slow thumbs up, like re- like a reflex, like, huh? Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, or else his um his his, bo- his boss uh, Bushnell Mullen says, Dougie, I need you to I need you to take a business trip down to Georgia. He's like, Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> or like. The Las Vegas FBI, like, I told you, we only drink Georgia. <laughs> that, that scene that scene plays in my mind a lot more than I would like to admit. Uh, I, I can't, I, I mean, I don't want to get into too much about what my job is, but anytime I see the, I see a last name Wilson come up, I at least think it out loud. If I'm the only one in the office, I say it where I'm just like, Wilson, how many times have I told you? This is what we do in the FBI. And every time I see the name Wilson, that always springs up in one way or another. <laughs> I think that since we're winding down, um, was there anything else you wanted to say about like whether it's uh, Georgia coffee, how it affected J- Japanese culture at large, or any final thoughts? Uh, one thing I I, uh, I sent Craig this article about like this big coffee campaign with Evangelion because during the original series they were very shamelessly plugging stuff where like there's a shot of a fridge and there's a distinctive beer and coffee and then with the latest movies how they rebrought the campaign where what was it, it was like one last coffee like because like something with Evangelion is like they always like saying oh one last or you cannot so it was like this they revitalized the campaign of selling this specific coffee it wasn't um george it was uh which one was it it was ucc coffee <laughs> they did it for the original series back in the 90s and then when the re the newest movies the rebuilds it's, it's like they brought it back one more final coffee <laughs> it's so dumb <laughs> yeah even Gilly even gillian mooch is a um oh god it's 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 a wild Wild, wild rabbit hole to, to, to jump down it's, uh, it's crazy yeah i mean i i think i think we've probably i've pretty much said everything you know not being of japanese descent myself and um only having a sort of a vague peripheral knowledge of um of how their culture operates and um how their advertising streams work and stuff um yeah i think i think th- these were these were a fascinating sort of time capsule and um a little curiosity and um yeah lots of lots of fun stuff to explore there yeah, no, I, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't have too much more to say about it, to be honest. Um, no, they're, they're a lot of fun, and um, I'm glad they exist, and I'm glad that um, they were unearthed and, um, you know, presented, and, and people can watch these, because they are very fun. Since we were talking about uh, Evangelion, uh, and of course, I mentioned it early on in the intro, but 
Did you both want to talk about where uh, people can find your podcast or plug any social media you both have uh, either associated for it or individually on your own? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, um, you know, we, we are both pretty busy with stuff at the moment. So we've sort of, we're sort of not, not releasing regular stuff um, under the Twin Peaks Evangelion uh, sort of banner at the moment. All of our old episodes are there. Um, if you've not heard of the show before, effectively, it's um, myself who was a, a and is a big David Lynch fan. Um, I had a crazy idea where I thought, well, well, how would someone who had never seen any Twin Peaks before um, respond to The Return without any prior context? So I enlisted my buddy Vinny, who had never seen it before, to watch The Return and try and figure out what was happening. At the same time, I watched the Rebuild films, which are in the Neon Genesis Evangelion series, um, having never seen or knowing nothing about the original anime. And um, between us, we tried to sort of piece together what might be happening in, in these narratives as we sort of worked our way through them. We've also covered a few other sort of Twin Peaks or Evangelion adjacent stuff. Um, so we've covered a, a few of the David Lynch films and um, some of the works of um, Hideaki Anno, who you know, produced Evangelion, and um, also Satoshi Kon, who was a, who was a great um, Japanese um, anime director, including an episode that you were on, where we covered... Um, Perfect Blue, the Satoshi Kon film, and Blue Velvet, the, with a very imaginative uh, episode title, uh, Perfect Blue Velvet. So yeah, check that out if you're a, if you're a fan of hearing Colin and uh, and our voices. <laughs> Actually, a bit of a side note: when I put out the uh, put out my posts about uh, promoting that I was going to be doing the Perfect Blue Velvet episode, I kid you not, to this day, it is still the most liked thing on my Instagram <laughs> by far. Like nothing comes close. Uh, Wow. Yeah, so so there's a there's definitely a crossover of uh, David Lynch fans and Satoshi Kon fans, and uh, yeah, yeah so but yeah, like I, you know, it's like we were mentioned Perfect Blue Velvet. I had a lot of fun on it, and I would highly recommend people to listen to it. And in fact, um, assuming that I don't have like a lapse of memory, I'll even provide a link to it uh, when I put this episode out. If you want to find us online, um, we're on uh, tp semicolon e at gmail.com. Don't ask. Um, we're on TP Evangelion on twitter.com and TP colon E podcast on Instagram as well. Such synergy with our social media. <laughs> yeah, just it's it's a whole thing. Listen to the podcast and you'll, you'll understand. Um, no, just, I just yeah. want to just keep telling everyone who ever listened to me that I play tested a video game, River City Girls 2, for a little bit. It was one of the best games best jobs I ever had just playing a video game in an office on hours on end for a couple of months and I genuinely think it is an amazing beat-em-up style video game so if you're listening to this and you like beat-em-up style video games or anime or just generally fun combat in a video game check out River City Girls 2 you'll see my name in the credits as Playtester it's awesome and has an amazing soundtrack and I will talk about it till the day I die because I will plug that just as much as Twin Peaks and Evangelion. This has been great, Colin. Um, you know, we've had a lot of fun with this. Um, it's been fantastic. And thank you for, for having us on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you again, guys. And I uh, hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye. Together.